So this morning, what I want to say to you is, will you feast or will you famine in this season? That's my message title. Will you feast or will you famine in this season? And I believe that in order to answer that question, you really need to know what season we're in. So I'm going to kind of run through this as quickly as I possibly can. But this is an important setup for the rest of the year. So if I drag on a little bit, understand that this is crucial for your survival. I want you to keep in mind that eternity is on the line. Church is not a social club. It's not something we do once a week so we have friends. It is the defining factor in our life that builds us up for people's eternity. For our own and for the equipping to help others. So it's necessary that we get equipped, amen? amen? Hallelujah. So as I was praying to the Lord and asking him for a word for this year, as we stepped into the Hebrew calendar year, so we've just begun, Rosh Hashanah was on, uh, on Monday, the beginning of the Jewish New Year, and some people say, Pastor, why are we following a Jewish calendar? Look, I prayed at the beginning of January for our New Year about what God was doing in this season. And now as we approach the Jewish New Year, just passed into it, I'm also asking the Lord, what are you doing? Because we have to keep in mind that we worship a Jewish rabbi. So his culture is our culture. Come on, Jesus. So Colin's not here this morning. I just got a note from the back from the tech team. I'll just say this. Colin was uh, praying. He didn't come this morning. He wasn't feeling very good last night. He had some body aches. And uh, he just said that as uh, he was praying, all of his body aches and his headache and everything just left. Come on, Jesus. I could spend the whole time telling you testimonies of the people that got healed in California and New York. I, the whole time. That Saturday morning session where I released the team. Understand, I did very little ministering. I released our team to minister to people. Do you know that me taking the team probably got me more speaking engagements and more accolades than my preaching alone? Like, it wasn't my preaching. I had all of the ministers come up to me and say the same thing. Pastor Ren, we know you can preach. That's why you're here. We know you have a healing ministry and anointing on your life. That's why we invited you. But let me say something. I am more impressed watching your family and your team than I ever was with you. And they said that, no, not in a negative way, not in a, not in a, not in a sarcastic. They're saying they've seen the fruit of my ministry, that it's not just talk. That there's fruit to it. And they saw what happens when people get around me, when my family is raised up by me, when the pe my leaders have been by me, that I can release them, that they carry an anointing on their life. I'm telling you that there's oil here that's valuable to your life if you will just learn to soak in it and get around the people that are carrying it. Not just me. There's a generation now that knows how to pour it out as well. This ministry will not live or die with me. It will go on for generations. That's what we're supposed to be living for. Amen? So I'm proud of them and what they poured out. I'm proud of them for stepping up and living out loud and being bolder than me in many cases. I'm proud that I got to walk around Huntington Beach and see 30 people come to Jesus by their efforts. See, I, I always have the same thing. I am the, the last gift on my list in the fivefold is the evangelist. I am not the one that just walks up and gives the two-minute speech. I am not the best at it. Colin is 50 times better than me. In fact, most of the team is better than I am at it. They just are. I have a heart to raise up Christians, to raise up and deepen their faith. And so what does God do? I'm walking around Huntington Beach in California. Who is everyone I talk to? Everyone I talk to, a believer that needs something to increase and deepen their faith. 
I walk up to the lady. She's like, I'm prophetic, but I want it to go away. Will you? I say, how can I pray for you? And she's like, well, I have these dreams and these, these things that God says to me, and will you pray they go away? And I'm like, what? Oh, you came to the right pastor, but that's not what we're doing. I helped her to understand how to steward her prophetic gift. Uh, walking across, literally across the crosswalk, we're having this conversation. Green light, go. So you got prophecy gift? Oh, okay, that's really great. That's what happened. She ends up bawling on the sidewalk. Next person I approach, they're all about we're getting saved wrong because we're saying Jesus' name wrong. And I'm like, I realize it's Yeshua. I don't think he's that offended. Like, I just don't. I, I, I go to uh, Kenya, and they call me Kip Cheer Cheer. Okay, that's my, my Kenyan name is Kip Cheer Cheer. I know they're talking to me when they say it. That's not my legal name. It's my given name. I know who they're talking to. Amen? Or when they try to, uh, my friend, my friend, Prophet Gershom, he tries to say my name. He's always like, he calls me a prophet. I'm not a prophet, but he's like, Prophet Len, Prophet Len. He can't say the R. And um, I know he's talking to me. I just think it's funny. Okay, but I didn't want to say, oh, no, I won't speak because you didn't say my name right. So these guys are obsessed with, with the right name of God. And, and I'm like, that's cool. But I, I managed to change their mindset to the point where they're like, we need to come to your revival. But this other man overheard me while I was there. And he was obsessed that Saturday had to be the Sabbath and you couldn't go to church on any other day. And he said, I heard your argument with them and you seem very knowledgeable. Can you answer this question for me? And when he was done, he thanked me. And then I immediately turned and Thomas Heard said, prophesy over this man right here. I'm not telling you anything. And I'm like, what? That's not fair. So, so I began to prophesy over that man, and I said, I don't know why, but I see that your family were in the ministry, and you got saved at five. And he's like, yes, my family are missionaries. And, and I'm like, yeah. And I was like, I don't know why, but these names mean a, ring a bell to you. You will know these names. I said, Randy Clark, Bill Johnson, and Heidi Baker, but especially Heidi Baker. You know that name. And he goes, I graduated from Heidi Baker's school. And I'm like, are you kidding? He goes, no, I was ordained through Heidi Baker. So I'm like, all right, you showed up here to get an impartation. So I prayed over him. He got wrecked on the entrance to the pier of San, uh, the uh, Huntington Beach Pier. So he's wrecked at the entrance there, laying on the ground. Me, 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 me. And I'm like, me, 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 me. And it was beautiful. And he's laying there, and these people are walking by going, is he okay? I'm like, yeah, we prayed for him. And he's like, yeah, we realize you prayed for him, but is he okay? I'm like, yeah, it's, he's fine. We just prayed for him. And they're like, well, I'm glad you prayed for him, but what happened to him? I was like, we prayed for him. That's what happened to him. And they're like, wait a second. So he was fine, and you prayed, and that happened? I'm like, yeah, that's normal for us. That's what happens when we pray for people. That's what happens when you pray for people? I said, yes, that's what happens when we pray for people. Can we pray for you? He goes, oh. And the guy sat up, and I said, how you feeling? He goes, fine. I said, see, he's fine. Now let me pray for you. And he goes, ah, uh, ah, uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Colin's like, man, bro, come here, come here. And he's like, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> That's my favorite. They're like, you could tell he was, like, interested, but he's like, uh-uh, like, I don't know. I get it. It's weird. But let me say something. When it happens out in the open, in public, on a beach, unexpectedly, that's the power of God. So God's doing something. God is pouring in. There's something happening in this moment. The church is finally awake. Amen? An awake church is not hanging out in a tomb. They have left the tomb. We're resurrected, but we haven't left the tomb. Amen? It's a great word by Mark. 
Hallelujah. So when I asked the Lord about this season and this year, God spoke to me and told me what was happening. I said, God, give me a word for this new Jewish year. We're stepping into the Hebrew calendar, 5782. And I said, Lord, what's that? And he said, look up the Hebrew word for 5782. And when I looked up the Hebrew word for 5782, I was shocked. It is the Hebrew word for er, you are. Okay, before I tell you its meaning, to back you up a little bit. You guys know that I've, I've been traveling around and that in 2018, God put a word on my heart that the church was under a spirit of slumber. I asked him about our region. He said, there's a spirit of slumber over Oklahoma and over the church in general, but really Oklahoma. Religion has set in and the church has lulled itself to sleep. And he says, I want you to go and start awakening it. I want you to start calling to it and awaken it. So I've been on a mission for the last three years that everything I do, uh, many of you guys know the first crusades and conferences we did were called awakening. I'm trying to awaken the church because God said there's a third great awakening that's coming to the earth that we need to awaken the church for. We cannot see an awakening happening in the world if the church is still asleep. So we have to awaken the church to see the great awakening. That's what has to happen. And I knew, and I told you guys when I sought the Lord for January, I said, this is not a season to prepare anymore. It's a season to go forward. It's a season to march forward. We are in the season where we go forward. Amen? Amen. That's the season we're in. And so I knew it was no longer a preparation season. We are not waiting on a third great awakening. We're in it. You've heard me say that. You heard me say that it's already begun. I told you the stories from California so, and New York so that you could hear what is happening, what God is doing in the world. The awakening is not waiting, it's now. And so when I looked up the Hebrew word, 5782, er, it happens to mean awake. Anybody shocked? I didn't hear any gasping in the room. Let's try that again. I need, a, I need a little more drama. Okay, a quiet church is a dead church. The word 5782 in the Hebrew concordance is the word awake. That was so good. Y'all are on fire. Solid. That made me feel good. Man, I'm preaching. All right. Hallelujah. So awake. Here's the great thing about the word. It is the root word for awake. It is not a subjugate word, it's a root word, which means that it is not past tense or future tense. It is a present tense word that can take on all those tenses. Okay, I'm a little tense. Um, so it means it's a now word. It does not mean awakening is coming, it means it's right now. So how clever is it that God put that right there in the open? He's like, watch this. I told you it's the third great awakening. I told you that it's happening right now. You're seeing the fruit of it. We're not waiting on it. We're seeing beach revivals break out and people at D.C. worshiping God. We're seeing outdoor people have left the tomb and brought the church. See, the church turned itself into a tomb. It locked itself away. And we're stepping out of the tomb into the sunlight and bringing people to Jesus. Amen? And let me tell you something, okay? You need to be prepared for that season. You need to be ready for that season. I was not as prepared to go to Huntington Beach and share the gospel out in the sunlight as I thought. The Lord told me we're supposed to be the burning ones, but all I became was the burnt one. <laughs> me and Colin both. We peeled a whole lot. Okay, so we got to be the burning ones, though. We got to take it out of the tomb. We got to take it into the sunlight or the world will never know that he has been resurrected. Such a fitting word. 
So I want to talk to you just for a minute about how we do that, about what this season looks like, because as we go forward, we're going to need to be provisioned for the march forward. Every army needs supplies, amen? And some of us don't realize where those supplies come from. And if we are going to feast or famine in the season, it's going to come down to our understanding of where our provision comes from. If you do not know where the provision comes from, you will always struggle being provided for. Hallelujah. My kids know how to cook. Why? Because I don't provide cooked meals for them anymore. They big. They know where the food is. They know how to put it on the stove. Okay, some of them are masters at ramen. The oldest one would die if there was not ramen. You know it's right. Caleb, five-course meal, no problem. He's like, Dad, we have cheese and crackers. Hang on a second, I'll make a lasagna out of that somehow. Isaiah would die if there was not ramen. <laughs> and the dollar store boxes of like ho-hos and ding-dongs and stuff. Little Debbie is his best friend. <laughs> They're in this committed relationship. They're in a committed relationship. I love you. He says he watches every Sunday, so we'll find out now. If he doesn't say anything, he's like, oh, I caught you, boy. <laughs> Hallelujah. But we need to understand, because, look, it's great to eat a snack. It's great to take that in, but there is nothing better than a home-cooked meal, amen? There, you know what? One of the best things is, uh, Brian Higby was talking about when we were in New York, he was talking about his wife used to make homemade bread. Any of you guys make homemade bread? Right? Okay, so you know like when that bread is almost done, right? You know the, the smell that comes. Or you go to the restaurant and they bring you fresh bread and it's hot and it's warm, right? You go to the olive garden and you're like, they have soup and salad here? I don't, because you never get past the breadsticks, right? They bring them and the first bucket of breadsticks is the tithe unto your purse. You know what I'm talking about. You know that, right? Come on. Emily's like, you know, you're prophetic. How did you know? Yeah, you stuffed the, the first batch. and like, we're going to need more breadsticks right now. You want those warm, hot breadsticks. And you know when the waitress is bringing them, okay? It's like the cartoon. The smell makes it out to you, and you're just like waffling in the air, right? All the way to the breadsticks, right? Yeah, a little tear drips from one corner of your eye as you bite into the warm breadstick. Right? The only reason you got the pasta was so you had dipping sauce for your breadstick. It's true. Some of you are like, come on, you're going late and you're talking about food. <laughs> ah, I missed you guys too. Hallelujah. Glory. At least I'm keeping it entertaining. All right. So you need to understand that bread is good. Amen? Some of you are like, what are you talking about? We're on Optavia and Keto. We haven't seen bread in a year. Oh! How many of you know that my, you might not be able to eat physical bread? Spiritual bread is good for you. Yeah. Amen. Some of you need to put a little weight on your spirit anyways. Anorexic spirit needs to grow. Amen. So you need to understand what your bread is in this season and how you get some. Otherwise, you will not have the energy and the ability to march forward into your victory. Amen. So we're going to get some bread. Not for real, like in the scriptures. Ah, uh, Numbers 14, we're reading about the story of the 12 spies. Caleb and Joshua have just come back with a good report while the other 10 have come back with a bad report. And they say, there's big scary people in the land. 
There are giants in the land. Yes, there's fruit. It's huge. There's land. It's huge. The land is fertile. Everything's huge, including those that are guarding it. We cannot take it. But Joshua and Caleb, the word of God, in I think it's verse 25 of chapter 14, says that Caleb was of a different spirit. Say different spirit. Some of you need to get of a different spirit. You need to start looking at your situations differently. You need to start looking through a different lens. You need to start understanding that what the enemy has meant to hurt you is actually the thing that's going to help you if you'll just let God do it for you. Different spirit. Hallelujah. You need a different spirit in this season if you're going to see God provide for you. You see, they came to a land that already had walls and castles built against it. They came to a land where giants were already inhabiting it. They came to a land that they had to fight to occupy that was promised to them, but was not just given to them. How many of you guys know that God has given you a promise, but he has not just handed you everything. You have to fight for it sometimes. You need to make a way. Hallelujah. So let me read Numbers 14, 8, 1, 8 through 9 to you. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Some of you want some milk and honey this morning. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Say bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. See, here's the truth, is what you fear can also be your feast. If you understand, it's not meant for your famine. Giants are your bread. What has come against you is meant to sustain you when you have victory over it. Some of you do not understand that the thing you think you are warring against was put there for your provision. See, it doesn't say if we just take down these giants, if we take down these giants, then we will be able to take the honey and the, and the milk. It doesn't say that. He said, I'm giving you a land which flows with milk and honey. But then he says, by the way, these giants, they're your bread. They're how you sop up the milk and honey. You need a little something to dip, amen? You got the sauce, but you need the substance. I got something for you to dip it in if you'll just go take it. The giants are your bread. So many times we look at the enemy as the obstacle we have to get around instead of recognizing that we are supposed to use him for our provision. Why do you think I keep going to Cali in New York? Because the Lord gave me a vision and showed me that there are two twin spirits that rule over those regions. That they are the gateways of America. That that's where everything comes through. And that they squeeze the rest of the country. And the Lord showed me that they are two kingdoms, two giants that rule over those lands. Twin giants that rule over those lands. Twin principalities that rule over those lands. He says, go there and battle them. I don't have any uh, delusions of grandeur that I'm the only one fighting and it's up to me. But I'm going to go where the giants are. Okay? And I understand that those giants rule kingdoms. And those kingdoms have fortified walls and provision. In fact, there are two kingdoms, there are two pillars that are holding up those kingdoms in each one of those regions that I understand that are over those regions that they're ruling over. In California, the region or the rule of entertainment, Hollywood, and Silicon Valley, technology. They rule. California rules that for the rest of the world. And in New York, 
New York rules over Wall Street, our money, and over the media. That's where it's all located. That's where it all is. So the media, the entertainment, the money, and the technology is all ruled by these two regions. There are giants in the land there, and I see the fruit of those places. I see some entertainment fruit. I see some technology fruit. I see some money coming in. I see some media, and I'm going to go take those giants down and get my bread out of them. They have my bread, and it looks like the money from Wall Street. They have my bread, and it looks like the media. They have my bread, and it looks like entertainment. They have my bread, and it looks like technology. And those giants are my bread. So why do I keep going? Because I'm hungry. I'm hungry, and I recognize where the food is. I want you to catch that. In a famine season, you don't go to the wilderness. You go towards a city with provisions. Amen? You guys need to recognize what's happening. You look around at our world and you see we are in a troubled season. You know, there was a man one time that was asked, your parents grew up in a very troubled time in our country. He said, yeah. He says, tell me about that. And he said this. He said, my father had to walk 10 miles to work. My grandfather had to walk 15 miles work but I drive a Cadillac my son drives a Mercedes and my grandson will drive a Ferrari but his grandson will walk again they said why do you think that's so he said because tough times create strong men and strong men create easy times and easy times create weak men. And weak men create tough times. You need to recognize the season we're in. Don't look around and see the trouble and get frustrated. Recognize that somebody is baking your bread. There's some fire. That means something's cooking in the oven. It's the tough times that create strong men. You know, I read a study the other day called 25. They did the study 25 times and repeated it in the 70s over and over and over to see if there was a different result. A scientist took mice and he took a couple dozen mice and he gave them a home big enough where they all had plenty of space and plenty of food. They wanted for nothing. They had all the space and all the food they could handle. And so those mice began to populate quickly. And within a short amount of time, the colony grew to 600 keeping the space going, they all had the appropriate amount of space, all the space they needed, and all the food they needed. But when the colony got to around 600 every time and there was a multitude of people, they noticed that there was a sociological change that happened in the mice. The male mice stopped being very interested in reproduction. In fact, they didn't seem to care about much of anything other than sleeping and eating. They didn't really care and what happened that they noticed was is that the male mice stopped being dominant, stopped being alpha and started being very dormant in their behavior. They no longer, let me just put it this way, they were very effeminate. In fact, so much so that they began to give themselves over to homosexuality in the population when it grew to 600. All the food, all the space they wanted. And the females, on the other hand, became very less interested in reproduction, 
all they seemed to care about was being aggressive. So the females became aggressive and the males became very passive. And when this happened, reproduction began to decrease in the population to the point where they no longer were able to reproduce at all and the colony would completely die out in weeks. No more reproduction. And they saw this and they thought how strange that was. So they repro reproduced the experiment 25 times and all 25 times they came up with the same result. That when the people were pacified and they had the room and the food, they had somewhere to sleep, comfortable, and they had enough food in their belly, they became passive, the males became weak, the females became aggressive, and the species and the society collapsed and died. Do I need to explain it any deeper than that to you? Are you catching the correlation or do I need to get political? I don't need to. That's just sociological. That's how we're built. We were built by God to be fruitful and multiply. We were built to press into promises where there are giants in the land. He prepared a plan for us that meant strengthening us in the process. Amen? So the enemy will become your bread. See, Jesus says he's the bread of life. See, he's the bread of salvation, but your enemy is the bread of provision. Are you eating both breads? We need to understand that it's time for us to go and take down what the enemy has laid up siege against us. Jesus died for you, but it's time the enemy died by you. Make no mistake, you need to understand that God has allowed the world to build kingdoms for us. Just so the church could conquer them. I'm not talking about physical war. I'm talking about there are things laid up that belong to the church. The church needs to catch up. We live in tents while they build stone houses. You need to catch this. The church lives in tents while the world has built stone houses. The Israelites were living in desert tents and they saw Jericho. It was a mighty fortress, but it was for them. And they were not content to live in tents, but so many in the church have decided church is better left a tent while the world gets the stone houses, the mansions, the increase. We've allowed the world to have the things that belong to the church. Do you know that? I want you to catch this. And we've done it knowingly and eyes wide open. What we've done is do things like this. Oh, we don't need no fancy lights in church. We don't need none of those fog machines. We don't need any of that new fangled technology. That's all fluff. That's what we've done. We don't need an increase. We don't need an LED wall. We don't need more cameras. We don't need to reach further. That's what people have done and say, well, what does that have to do with Jesus? God wants us to have the stone houses and we keep wanting to live in tents. Somebody knows how to build out a stone and we keep saying tents are fine. That's what we do. We say tents are fine. Why should the world have the greatest kingdoms and not the kingdom of God? I don't understand that mentality. I, I'm not preaching a, a, a prosperity gospel. I'm just saying if it's available, why is the church not walking in it? Why is the church always a decade behind and a building material back from everything the world has? Here's the truth. Have you ever told a builder to stop being better at building? Would you ever tell a builder to stop getting better at building? Would you ever tell a baker to stop making better recipes? Anybody? You want your chef at that restaurant to make a weaker dish because it's too good? Would you ever tell me to stop preaching better? 
I'm sorry, pastor, but you were just preaching too good for me today. Anybody? So why do we tell the tech team to limit the tech? Why do we tell the guy, come on, why do we tell the guy that loves lighting to stop being creative? We were made in the image of a creator. He's expecting us to create, but we have capped people in the church and said, you've created enough, we don't want any more than that because we'll make it a show. Or are we just releasing people into the fullness of what's inside of them? The church has capped off potential. It's decided it's too much. I'm not saying be wasteful and spend a bunch of money. I'm not saying that. I'm saying why is the church not the one in control of these kingdoms and pillars anymore? Do you understand that these were made for and by the church? It was the church that invented all these things. At one point in time, these strongholds, these kingdoms were owned by God's people. See, God's people moved out of the tent and they took over a promised land where it had already been built for them. And once they took it over, they built a kingdom, Israel. And then a king rose up, David. And he was a conquering king and he took over it all. And he united the people. And then he gave it to his son, Solomon. And what did Solomon do? He raised it in splendor so that it was the splendor of the world. So much so that heathen kings that worshipped other gods came to see the marvel that was Israel. That was Jerusalem. The kingdom of God's chosen people. Nobody marvels at the church anymore. Because we've settled for tents. We don't have any bread. We need to go get the bread, amen? And then build upon that. They didn't just take what the enemy had built. They built on it and they enhanced it and they became the marvel of the world for it. And yet we look at the world as the marvel and the church says, I want no part of it. We've isolated ourselves and withdrawn from it instead of taking it. That We haven't taken it. See, some of you are under conviction right now. You're like, I don't know. Because you got quiet on me, so that must be why. Do you understand that it was the churches first? Do you understand science was the churches? It was invented. It was created by God's children wanting to understand how God made everything. It was the study of the creation of the world. We want to understand our creator by how he created. It was the churches. Do you know that art was the churches. It was an expression of being creative for our creative God. If he could paint the heavens, we can paint them too. Art was a religious act. You understand these things were controlled by the church. Education was a Christian philosophy. All of our Ivy League schools, you know all of them, every single Ivy League school was started on a foundation of God. They were Christian institutions dedicated to teaching people about God. Before they educated on the world, they first educated on the kingdom of God. They belonged. Our education system belonged to God. Now what we do as believers in churches, we sit around complaining about how bad the public education is. We abandoned the stronghold we held. We gave it up. What we do is as parents, we complain that the worldly educational system is corrupting and teaching our kids wrong, but I don't see anybody running for, for, for the board. I don't see anybody going and taking it back over. If we are going to sit in deserts and tents and complain that they have a kingdom, but we're unwilling to march into it because we're scared because they're giants, we don't understand that they're our bread. They are our bread. 
And we need Christians in this season to rise up and start taking back the territory that belongs to the kingdom of God. That was promised to us. You know, it was an atheist historian that said that the reason why the world is modernized and civilized today has nothing to do with culture or advancement in science, but everything to do with Christians. That it was Christianity that brought peace for the first time to the world. That brought the idea that all humans were to be treated equally and fair. That women had rights and weren't property. That children had value. That hurting, and that, that brought morality to sexuality. Do you know that was the church that did that? Before Christianity, there was no morality in the world, but it was Christianity that really brought the world into a place where we have a decent society. You know that? And now our society wants to say that it's Christians that are causing it not to be decent anymore. They want to take the territory that we gave them. They don't realize that they are mice in an experiment and they're destroying their society. You understand that? That they need us. They need what we bring. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want some of you to catch what God is doing right now in this season for you. Giants are our bread. So I don't know what giant you're facing this morning. I don't know what giant has come against you this morning. I don't know if fear has been your giant. I don't know if depression has been your giant. I don't know if loss or grief has been your giant. But God wants to turn your giant into bread this morning. Amen? Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? I'm going to wrap up here very soon. But I want you to catch this. All these things belong to the church. And the enemy has used this tactic over and over again to steal from the church. This has been his tactic since the very beginning. In fact, he did it with Jesus himself. He did it with Jesus. Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the enemy. And the enemy said, if you're hungry, why don't you turn those stones into bread? And he tried to convince him to get the bread a different way than what God had prepared for him. Psalms 23 says this. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Some of you have not understood why it is that there is a banquet prepared by God in the presence of your enemies. He did not shoo away your enemies. He did not chase away your enemies. He did not ask your enemies to flee. He wants them right there. Why? Because he wants the bread real close to your table. Because the presence of your enemies means there's bread available. You need to understand the enemies are not there to watch you eat. They're there for you to eat. That is your bread. Amen? Stop giving the enemy a seat at your table and instead make him your appetizer. Amen. 
I'm going to close with this. You know, I'm, I'm pondering everything that's happening over in Afghanistan. and I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that today is the day after 9-11, our 20th year remembrance of what happened, that terror attack that happened in New York in the Twin Towers. And many of you guys under 30 don't remember what it's like to see a united country, a country where we all just came together and let our differences go for a season. But I do. I remember that season. I remember what it looks like, but I also remember how they behaved themselves and what those terrorists did and what it looks like to be a terrorist. Let me, let me tell you, it's, a terrorist is not a soldier that you don't like, so you call him a name. See, the difference with a terrorist, how you know it's a terrorist, is a terrorist, in order to protect himself, will grab innocent women, men, and children and place them in front of himself. You know, that's a tactic of the terrorist, is that they will surround themselves with the innocent so that you can't bomb it. So we can't go in and attack it, right? If, if, if they're in a hospital, we can't go and attack that hospital, otherwise we'll kill innocent civilians. You understand that, right? That, that's what the enemy does. The enemy wants to surround himself with the innocents. He covers and protects himself in the innocent. That's what he does to avoid being shot at or taken out himself. So terrorists bring the innocent near them to keep them from being devoured. What happens is many times is as believers, as the innocent of God, as the righteousness of God, we are providing cover for the enemy all too often. We protect that which God says we are to devour. We cover the enemy's movements because we put our innocence over it. We cover those workplaces. We cover those people. We cover the places where God wants to bring his hand into. We cover media. We cover entertainment. We cover technology. We buy from Amazon. We watch the Netflix. We cover it so God can't bring it to us to devour. We're not supposed to cover it. We're supposed to conquer it. We need to start moving in its replacement. We need to start taking territory away. We need to start advancing. We need people to raise up and become entertainment giants. We need people to raise up and become media giants, to learn how to trade stocks, to take over Wall Street, to come in and bring the gospel of Jesus into every one of those places. Stop covering it and conquering it. There are areas the church has not conquered because they've been covering. Don't cover what you are not called to carry. So we're awake now. We're out of the spiritual enslavement that was our Egypt in the past season. And we've allowed the world in our slumber to build kingdoms that were meant for us in our promised land. And it's time for the church to advance on the gates of hell and get it back. Amen? Let me say this very concretely. The word of God said this upon this revelation. When Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, and Peter said, upon this revelation, upon this rock, however you want to interpret that, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to catch this. Some of you guys still think you're the one in defensive mode. The last time I checked, gates don't march into battle. 
I've never seen a gate move itself into position. Gates don't advance. They are defensive weapons. If the gates of hell shall not prevail against the revelation of Jesus Christ, against the rock of the church, what makes you think we are on defense? We are on offense. And it's time for us to move forward and take our promises and make the giants that are in front of us our bread. Fear is not your enemy. He's your provision. When you conquer him, that becomes fear fuel for the fire that's inside of you. It becomes the bread of your life. How many of you guys are facing a giant this morning that it's time for it to turn to bread? Amen? Anxiety, you got to turn to provision for my people. Relation, broken relationships, you got to turn into manna. You got to start bearing down. Marriages will turn into manna. God is turning it into bread for you this morning. God has decided what you will advance on. He will give you as provision. It will not be your destruction. Come on, somebody. You need to catch what God is saying this morning. Come on. The church can no longer just beat up people because they want to advance, because they want technology, because they want provision. We have to be a church that's better than that. We have to stop being a church that demonizes what the world will monetize. If you, if you create a disruptive model in the world, they'll pay you for that. And the church will chastise them and kick them out. That's not what we want to do. Church, we got to change. We have to shift. It's time for us to take back areas of our life we thought we weren't able to touch anymore. But we are. We just need to change our, our mindset and be of a different spirit. Caleb was of a different spirit. The church needs to let go of the religious spirit and get back into building mode, to get back into taking mode, to get back into conquering mode. Do you hear what I'm saying this morning? Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. Come on, we're not going out quiet. We're not closing our eyes. We're not doing that. We're going to get into conquering mode. We're going to declare some things. So if there's some giants in the land against you, it's time for you to get out of the tent and start conquering some things. So I want you right now in your hands, I want you to place the giants that are in front of you in the name of Jesus. I want you in your hand to just look and say, this is my giant. This is the thing that's been coming after me. This is the thing. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's lust. I don't know if it's a broken marriage. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's hate. I don't know if it's, 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 it's frustration in this season. Laziness, hurt, brokenness, disappointment. How about this? Faith in your disappointment. I don't know what your giant is, but some of you got a giant that you need to conquer this morning. And in this hand, you're giant. And it's time for him to turn into bread. Amen? Amen. It's time to him to be your provision in this season so you can move forward. So I want you to take that giant. And I want you to tell that giant, giant, in the name of Jesus, you're going to be my bread. What was meant to hurt me will help me. It'll provide for me. No longer will I shriek back but I'm going to take back every promise that was promised by God for my life that you've stolen or illegally occupied. And I move into it today with force because the kingdom of God suffers violent. And I take it by force. In the name of Jesus, 
Come on, eat some bread, y'all. Hallelujah. We want to pray for you. Send us a message with your prayer requests through Facebook or email and let us know how we can pray for you today. Also, let us know how this message impacted your life. I love you. God loves you. Shalom.